Thank you for joining us for another edition of Behind the Editor's Curtain with Don Corrigan. Each edition focuses on points of interest relating to the environment and the community. And now, here's Don. Well, this morning, Environmental Echo is talking with Jean Turney. She's Education Coordinator with uh, Forest Park Forever. And we're going to be talking about how Forest Park is such a great outdoor, nature, environmental resource for the St. Louis area. So, good morning, Jean. How are you? Good morning, Don. I'm doing well. Thanks. Well, we really uh, are excited about what we have here in St. Louis with Forest Park. Tell us a little bit about the wild spaces in Forest Park. I think probably a lot of St. Louisans aren't aware that there's really some wild spaces in the park. A- absolutely, and those are, those are really some of my favorite spaces in the park. We all know um, the wonders of Forest Park iconic spaces and the great cultural institutions. But nestled in and among all of those are really all of Missouri's major habitats. So we have old growth forests, we have successional forests, we have prairies, we have wetlands. And um, lots of those places have been um, restored and managed by our nature reserve team. And they're continuing to add other little trails. Um, So there's areas that we call Round Lake Vista, which mm-hmm. is a series of trails that get you overlooking that. Um, the Deer Lake area has some amazing, uh, just little nooks and crannies. You, all of a sudden, you come across the the water going over the riffles, and it's this perfect habitat for so, the ducks and the so, herons. So, where um, is so where is the Deer Lake area for people who ah. for people who come into Forest Park and they want to? find some of these places, locate some of these places. Absolutely. One great resource I'm going to share with you is our forestparkmap.org. So that's a new kind of um, web-based app that is available on all kinds of devices. And our communication team has really put together this great map. And you can click on natural areas and you get a description and it's GPS located. It can really help you to find that. Um, So that I would recommend people go to forestparkmap.org okay. and you'll have a wealth of resources, a little bit of history and background and then directions on how to get it. Deer Lake itself is really close to the visitor center. So if you're starting at the visitor center and you head east down Grand, um, all of a sudden it's, it's really kind of a fun area to walk to because you'll, you'll walk past Cricket Field, which is this big open turf grass area and then all of a sudden you'll just start to see this you know the big tall prairie grasses and then as soon as you hit that prairie grass you'll see a trail um, that leads you into it but I often will take groups and we'll walk from the visitor center and we'll kind of stop when we're in front of the field and it's like listen what do you hear and occasionally there's some birds and maybe you know the sound of people walking by but as soon as you hit that tall grass it's just amplified I mean you can hear the insects and the birds and they're it's it's overwhelming just the difference and we're still out on grand on the in the center of the park um we haven't even walked kind of into that uh wild space yet to be able to kind of you just really experience i think the great things about our wild spaces is that you experience them through all of your senses so the you sounds just... are amazing the smells are amazing you, you didn't import any uh, ticks and chiggers to make it feel authentic, did you? <laughs> well, 
fortunate that we don't really have a lot of ticks in the park. I really don't think there's there's any ticks in the park. I've never had a problem with that. I will say that we there there are some healthy chigger populations, and so you have to be prepared to kind of go outdoors. But if you stay on the main kind of trails, um, there's some neat kind of uh, gravelly trails back through that particular area. Um, you're pretty safe, but yeah. definitely when you get into the grasses, you, you have lots of, you know, that's where they live. I always kind of tell the kids, like, we're their guests, um, so we want to kind of respect and be sure that that habitat is good for them and they have an important, you know. Yeah, I know from reading a background or on you that Deer Lake is one of your favorite spots. What about Kennedy Woods? Oh, yeah. Kennedy Woods is also one of those places that's so great to take kids because you're really immersed in the forest. And there's a couple really neat ways to do it. Um, a lot of the, the young people that I work with really haven't had a lot of time to be outside or particularly to be in a wild space. And it can be a little scary, particularly when they have some misconceptions about what might be in there. And I can remember having a group of, oh, they were maybe seven or eight-year-olds who were working with us on a summer program. And this little girl was at the end of the trail like, nope, I'm not going in there. Not a chance. <laughs> There's a bear in there. And, uh, you know, we finally kind of talked her through that she'd be safe. And, we, you know, by the time we got to the end, she was like, let's go again. But the first, there's a trail in Kennedy Woods. If you go um, to kind of Picnic Shelter 11, which is a neat pick, one of the, the city picnic shelters, which is really kind of tucked away in that, there's a great walking trail that's fully handicap accessible, paved trail that has a lot of switchbacks going through and makes this perfect kind of loop. So you can't get lost. You just kind of follow that trail. And you get this sense of really being in the midst of the forest. And there's a couple great bridges that you go across and you can kind of get up above and see that. But currently now, our Amy Witt, who's our park ecologist and her nature reserve team, have been for the last few years doing a really full timber stand improvement on um, another side of Kennedy Woods. And you really can see the their reconstruction efforts. So if you're on, and I'm always going to, um, kind of on the other side of Kennedy Woods, kind of on the the art museum side, mm -hmm. those trails back in there, which again, you get yourself really just kind of all caught up in the forest back there. And there's also um, Banna area that's along Skinker, which is totally um, fun to walk through. Do you have any but special? That, do you have any special events for the kids when it comes to the forest, like uh, a Halloween trail walk or some kind ah. of? Yeah, we our our programming is really um, about empowering adults to to do that. So a lot of our um, we're pretty small as an educational department. Mm -hmm. So our idea is like, how can we best um, make this accessible to? to let parents know, to let teachers know. So a lot of ours is about working with teachers. We do a few, um, and I definitely go out with those school groups um, a number of times. So those would be the kind of things, like as I'm talking with a teacher about what's your curriculum goals, what are you hoping, you know, then we kind of create those experiences based on what they're studying in the class or um, how they want to connect with it. So that would be um, a great idea. We also have our some adult programming um, 
our land management, which is both our nature reserve staff and our horticulture staff, lead walking tours. And so there's a whole series of those that happen on Friday mornings. And then Josh, who's one of our um, nature reserve stewards, he leads monthly wildflower walks. And Amy, um, the park ecologist, leads monthly bird walks. Sure. Those are Saturday mornings. So those um, hit a couple of different things. And there's, um, but special events, I think that's a great, you know, we're always looking to how can we kind of capture families. Um, Mm -hmm. That's actually a really, that's a great idea (laughs) to take that trail back. I'll be there. I'll right. be there for the Halloween walk if you have one. You, you know, okay. you know, there's been a lot of concern the last decade over uh, nature deficit disorder for kids and then urban, urban children in particular. Do you have any way of following up to see if, you know, a walk in the woods or, um, you know, introducing children to nature, whether it takes hold? I mean, we're trying to get the kids be you know out from behind their games and their smartphones and all those things what 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 indication do you have that we're making some progress with young people when you take them to the woods in the park right absolutely um i believe that that is a very powerful tool personally i've seen it as a classroom teacher as well as um, my experiences with groups here. So I was really fortunate um, as a classroom teacher, I was able to bring my students to the park once a week through the generosity of a grant through National Geographic. And I saw, and again, it's more anecdotal. I wish I was doing real scientific research on them, but it is backed up by a lot of scientific research that's been done. Um, Richard Louvre, who wrote the book, Last Child in the Woods, that was the first one who kind of coined the term um, nature deficit disorder. His organization now, the Children and Nature Network, really keeps all, you know, they are constantly looking at who's doing what research and they publish those things. Mm-hmm. But personally, what I've seen and teachers who were working um, with my students were like, this isn't like their ability, to, their problem solving, their creativity increases map skills. So we do it a lot, you know, in the classroom, kids have a map and they're figuring out this worksheet and kids can get the right answers here and there. But that, is stand, a lot, that is a lot of fun. And, you know, I, I'd like to see young people know what a map is because they seem, <laughs> they seem to, to depend more and more on whatever the computer tells them them where to go or wherever their smartphone tells them where to go. Um, exactly. Using a map is going to be a lost art at some point. If, you know. mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a great cognitive development skill. So to see these kids with a map in the park and to be like, where are you mm-hmm. on this map? Mm-hmm. And how do you get from here to there? Do they use, have them do they use a co- comp- Do they use a compass? Because that's another we thing do. I noticed with young people. They have no clue what north, south, east, west means. Absolutely. We use a compass. We also use GPS. So we have um, some of the training we just finished uh, with the teachers was all using map and compass, using handheld GPS units, showing them the the multiple means of technology. Um, But yeah, there's, there's just so many applications. Everything you can do kind of in a classroom, you can also do outdoors and we do find the sensory experience of being outdoors um, just makes such a difference. Well let's talk about some more about uh, the wild spaces you like. You mentioned Deer Lake and Kennedy Woods. 
Um, I've heard that you're kind of uh, partial to around the, the skating area, Steinberg, or oh, are yeah. north of the Muni. Tell us a little Absolutely. bit about tell us a little bit about other wild places you like in the park. Sure. So another great space. If you park in the Steinberg parking lot and you head out um, past the past the rink, you'll see you'll kind of connect with a trail. And that trail again, kind of it's a perfect. You know, you're not quite sure where you're going. It's just going to take you on a loop, so you can't really get lost. But you can wander off the trail in a couple different places. In that one, you get there's this great kind of wooden bridge that takes you over the waterway. So you can look to one side and see all the water lilies blooming. Again, a lot of the egrets will hang out there. Turtles, kids, you know, almost guaranteed to see turtles within that, which is cool. You can hear the frogs. We've done different frog watch pieces. Um, there's some great trees. Um, if you veer off of that trail, um, kind of when you're going up to uh, King's Highway, there is this, this enormous old mulberry tree, which is just kind of magical. And we frequently, with the younger kids, kind of go back there exploring and making up all sorts of stories about it's the tree of the gnomes or the fairies, and they are always kind of on the lookout. Um, it's just a great place for their imagination to run wild because it's just this old huge tree that has just kind of, you know, weathered a lot of storms, and you can see that. So it has these, you know, really low branches, and it's easy just to kind of climb up into it pretty safely. And to, um, so that's But you all let them build a tree house in there. You, the city yeah, zone. Yeah, not anything that's permanent, yeah. you know. We definitely do a lot. It's fun to use, you know. Mm -hmm. Nature gives us a lot of great building materials, and it's fun to collect, you know, have the kids really collect the different seed pods and begin to realize the variety of things, even as something as simple as an acorn. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden you pull out, you know, 12 different varieties of acorns and they're like, who knew that there's some that are really big and hairy and there's others that are really tiny and, um, well, so I, I love that you. I love that you also mentioned the, some of the critters in the park. You know, when I think of a, a park, I think of going fishing with a piece of bacon for a, a sunfish <laughs> or a bluegill. But I've read where there's like twenty five different species of fish. There's an unca right. uncountable number of land birds and uh, birds that uh, live more by the water. And then there's always mm -hmm. those insects to deal with. What are these other species besides the bluegill that are in the park? When it comes right, to yeah. fish. Variety of, of fish, catfish and sunfish and uh, bluegills. The uh, Missouri Department of Conservation actually stocks uh, Jefferson, and then they have some educational fishing ponds over by the old kind of historic hatchery area. So kids really can get a sense. Those lakes are the historic hatchery ones are reserved for educational purposes that gets managed through the Missouri Department of Conservation. Uh -huh. But it's a great way, you know, kids get this experience of, for many, again, the kids we work with, they're learning a brand new skill, they've never done it, and by the end of it, they've caught fish, so they've mastered this skill in kind of one day. Mm -hmm. It also highlights what's, what I found was really fun. Usually in any given class, there are a couple of kids who do have those experiences. They've gone fishing with their dad or their grandfather. They've, they're the kids who are out camping. And usually, sometimes in your classroom, those aren't necessarily your leaders. But here, all of a sudden, they're in this environment where they can shine and they can be 
the ones that people are turning to to like, hey, help me out with this. And so it's really, again, just providing these kids such a diversity you know, of experiences. So, so, do you, again, so do they have to bait the hook and take the fish off? Ab- absolutely. Um, you know, we help them out. We show them how the first time and then really challenge them to, to do that on their own. And, and they do. It's kind of funny um, where they're like, oh, kind of grossed out at first. And some of them like, obviously, that it's gross. Um, I thought they think it's gross. Yeah, yeah they love, you Well, know, do they ever catch something unexpected, like a snapping turtle or something? <laughs> we haven't caught a snapping turtle. I did have one guy who, who unfortunately kind of got a little bit of hold of a geese, but we were able to mm-hmm. rescue mm-hmm. that out of there. Right. Yeah, there's other little snags that happen, but they do see those turtles, and it's amazing to me, like kids who are like, this is the first time I've ever seen a turtle in real life. Or the, that was my first frog ever to hold. <laughs> or I had a teacher, we finished with a teacher workshop last week, and a teacher, you know, a veteran teacher who's the, caught the first fish ever of her life. The first fish it, ever. Well, let, ever. Let, me, let me ask you this. I, I'm always amused when I see these Audubon Society in there with their binoculars because I always figure Audubon Society people are going to be on the, you know, the river bluffs or they're going to be in a prairie somewhere. But, but Forest Park does afford opportunities for people who are bird lovers, doesn't it? Absolutely. It's a great um, flyway. So we hit a lot of the migrating birds come through. It's, you know, the, the Audubon, the birders call it a hot spot. Um, there's been over 200 different species of birds that have been sighted and are documented or on our list in the park, some more common than others. Um, some, again, that are residents year-round, but some that are in that migration, which it makes sense. I, You know, these birds flying around, when you're over the city, all of a sudden here's this big green oasis. So it makes this kind of natural um, resting spot. The ones that get me the most, in the winter, we will have bald eagles that are in the park. And um, I've seen them for the last few years, and I've seen them, you know, catching fish out of the Grand Basin. It's hysterical. Well, I always and, uh, I always read about the flyways and the Mississippi mm-hmm. flyway, and I, I don't quite understand. Do they veer off the flyway for a stop in Forest Park on their way? How does that work when they're migrating? Well, I, I think it's that flyway is a kind of a big concept. So uh-huh. we're, the park is definitely within the, the flyway. And, um, you know, again, you're up there and you look overhead, what's down below? All of a sudden you see, you know, habitat that's suitable for you. That's kind of where you're going to stop and take a break uh-huh. that's um, and be able to eat and nourish up. So, yeah, it's definitely, it's a big it's a big birding spot, and um, lots of people who are interested in that and working on all those kinds of things. Well, it's also the park is a great place to uh, teach teachers. And I know you have a Voyage of Learning Teacher uh, Academy, which I think you may have just wrapped up because we're getting close to school. What What is that academy Absolutely. all about? What is yeah, that? Yeah, so they, they just wrapped up on Friday was our last day. So the Voyage of Learning is a nine-day intensive experience for teachers in Forest Park with the goal of immersing them in the natural areas, in the wild spaces of the park so that they can then bring those experiences to their students. It's a collaborative program. So the 
facilitators come from all the cultural institutions in the park, as well as um, the Missouri Department of Conservation, um, Shaw Nature Reserve, the Missouri Botanical Garden, um, obviously, like I said, the, the ones within the park, the History Museum, the Art Museum. Um, several of Forest Park Forever staff on our nature reserve team are a part of it. Um, we have some other soil scientists who join us. Um, where, do most, where do most of your teachers come from that, that enroll our in this program? teachers come from all over the St. Louis metro area, from St. Louis. So when I look at um, our class that just finished up, I had somebody as far away as Windsor High School um, to, you know, our St. Louis public school teachers right here in the city. We serve... Um, the program is designed for teachers early childhood through high school and any discipline within there. And we get them all. We get PE teachers to special ed teachers to Spanish teachers to English teachers to math to science. And oftentimes teachers will be like, well, this is just for science teachers, right? And it's like, no, it's really we can use these outdoor spaces to enhance all of our curriculums. So our philosophy is really to immerse these adults into the park, into these experiences with really adult content, with helping them to really become learners, to challenge them to learn new things, to stretch and to grow and to um, have fun. Um, you know, some of them describe it as summer camp for teachers uh -huh. um, because we fish and we, you know, um, so what do they get at the end? Do they get a diploma or a sheepskin? And do any of them graduate summa cum laude? <laughs> they do get, they get a lot of perks throughout. So because we have all these great partners, they're really, um, they get a ton of resources, a ton of way to connect their students. They do get professional development hours. So it helps them in terms of their own um, growth and requirements for certification as teachers. They can also, if they would like, um, take it for graduate credit um, through local universities. That's sweet. Yeah. Get that's that a, master's that's faster by being outdoors. I think that's great. Exactly. And then one of the great, we have great um, funders who support this program. And so we're able to provide the teachers um, funding for them, bus transportation funding. So do you, that have, they do you can, have a teacher's alumni group? Do they get together? We do. We have a teacher alumni group. Um, are we, they're all just kind of called Voyagers. And we sponsor rendezvous, what we call throughout the year, that brings that community of teachers back three or four times a year to kind of reconnect them to the park. We'll introduce them to another wild space. Uh, maybe we'll just set up a big tent in an area in the park and invite them to come maybe do some some guided walking tours. We've done other um, more kind of workshop-based things for that. In December, we've done some really fun wreath making. So we'll gather all sorts of natural materials from the park and then create these really fun um, holiday wreaths. Um, so well, there's, yeah, lots of opportunities to continue to stay in touch with those teachers, to nourish and support them. And our goal is really, we know teachers work very hard and it's a lot it's a lot of effort to organize field trips and to take your kids out of the classroom sure. so we want to make that as easy as possible as accessible as possible and we found that the, one of the biggest barriers is just lack of funding to pay for the bus mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so most of the stuff to do in the park is is free these sure. natural areas are just out there waiting for us to be used 
So that um, transportation grant funding is really key. A number mm-hmm. of our schools are able to be come back and use those experiences because they have that transportation funding. Well, what about uh, the Nature Works program? We've, ta- oh. we've talked about uh, wild spaces. We've talked about teachers learning. What, what's the Nature right. Works program? At Nature the Works is um, one of my most favorite projects. Um, so Nature Works is a green um, workforce development program. So it's our specific outreach to high school students and to their teachers. So um, the culminating piece of the Nature Works program is a paid summer internship for eight weeks. So we're actually able to hire high school students to become our Nature Works crew for the summer. They work alongside our field coordinator who puts together a variety of uh, restoration projects that they work on in the park. Um, They've been focused primarily on our riparian corridor along the waterway, removing a lot of invasive species, planting different things, really managing. I got to ask you about that. I got to ask you about the uh, invasive species thing because, Ah, because you know, when you see people removing honeysuckle, it's, right. it, it seems like such an endless job, and there's so <laughs> much of it in, in it, St. Louis and Missouri generally. Um, it is. It's it's a problem, and it's just, you know, one of those problems, unfortunately, that we're just going to have to keep tackling over and over. It does, you know, come back, and it has to be managed. And so, unfortunately, given, you know, the impact of people on our land, we need to do what we can. But there's, you know, it, it can be controlled as best as possible, and to not do anything would just really make it worse. So you, For folks driving through Forest Park, where will they see the impact of the Nature Works program most visibly? So along the waterway and along, so there's three years ago um, when the program was first started, Part of the, their projects was the restoration of a prairie habitat that is just west of the historic hatcheries. So that that prairie that was at one point, you know, three years ago was turf land mm-hmm. is a big evidence of their work. And then all of the plantings um, and growth and cleaned out um, the waterway buffer has actually been expanded as a result of their work. But the other piece of it, so they're doing this work and really getting the experience of what it takes to manage a park and to manage an area. But then we also couple that with a variety of education experiences and introducing them to uh, professionals in a variety of fields to help build their network of professionals, but also to let them see that, you know, there are foresters, there are soil scientists, there are um, wildlife biologists, there are aquatic mm-hmm. engineers, you know, so that they there are, you know, landscape people to see that there's all sorts of careers that could involve uh, this type of work and to really, um, so we introduced them, they have educational sessions within that. We also have found that at about the time we were creating this program, it was happening kind of throughout the city of St. Louis. The Botanical Garden was working on um, their Beta Youth Corps who were doing similar things. Gateway Greening has a great Dig It program, which is a high school internship program. Earth Dance Farm has one. Seeds of Hope Farm has one. So you one. got a lot of competition for volunteers then. 
Well, we really don't see it as competition. We really see it as there's, you know, we still, even with all of us working on it, there's still so many more kids that need to be reached. So we really have joined together and we formed what we call the Green Teen Alliance to be able to help support each other's efforts. So we do a lot of joint recruiting. We do a couple joint training sessions throughout the summer. We kicked one off at the beginning that we call Base Camp and brought all these kids together from all these different groups. And it's really pretty powerful because you know, we have this great group of 10 students here in the park, but all of a sudden they're in a group of 70 students and they're like, wow, there's a lot of people who care about this. There's mm-hmm. a lot of different, you know, ways that we can um, network and reach out. So, Tomorrow, those kids will be gathering again over at the Botanical Garden and the focus is all on um, kind of school and career mm-hmm. paths. So now you've had this great summer experience what are you going to do with it? What are kind of your next steps? Did it inspire you? You know, if you wanted to go on and really study this, what's kind of the, what are some options available? Um, introduce them again to some more people who have chosen that and to kind of hear their career path. So that's been a great um, network of support and ways to really, you know, as a community to see that we can all make each other stronger. We, you know, when we recognize um what we need to do. So everybody seems to like lists, you know, they like lists these days. I'm not asking you to necessarily rank uh, Forest Park, but how does Forest Park compare to other urban parks across the country? Is it cutting edge with all the uh, outdoor environmental nature learning programs that it has? I would think so. I have to say, I wish I knew more about other parks to be able to say, um, I can only say that I think what we're doing is great stuff, and there are there's lots of good things happening. I do think there is definitely a national movement to better utilize um, our park systems, and I think we're right up there with them. Yeah. Uh, last year, the National Recreation and Parks um, Conference was here in St. Louis, and myself and another colleague from Forest Park, we actually presented about the, the Nature Works program as a model that we would hope would gain recognition mission. Um, That particular program was recognized by the Department of the Interior as a 21st century conservation corps, which the fact that that program exists, that they're, you know, trying to say, hey, this is an idea of something we should do. And there's many, um, I think, you know, we're moving in the right direction. And I think our parks play a key role in filling that gap helping to provide those wild spaces, um, particularly in our urban areas. Um, okay. and so we're fortunate in St. Louis to have so many parks and especially to have you know, such a resource as Forest Park. Well, thanks a lot, Gene Turney of Forest Park Forever. We've covered a lot of ground today, and and there is a lot of ground to cover in Forest Park. We're bigger than Central Park in New York City. I always like to mention that. And And we do, too. (laughs) (laughs) Please let us know if you decide to do that Halloween walk this fall, because I'm there. Through Kennedy right. Woods, right? Kennedy Woods, is that where it will that be? That sounds like the spot that, that would be the scariest spot for Halloween. Okay. Although there's bats kind of in a variety of places, but yeah. that might be it. Well, thanks again for your time. You're today. welcome, Don. Appreciate nice it. Nice to talk to you. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. This is Don Corrigan for our Environmental Echo. I hope you enjoyed our interview today. Have a good green day, folks.